and welcome to The Tree Project, Dorothy Hogg Life and Legacy podcast series. I'm Eva Goring from the Scottish Goldsmiths Trust. This podcast series has been developed to highlight the impact and legacy of the late Dorothy Hogg MBE and her influential time leading the jewellery and silversmithing department at Edinburgh College of Art. The participants in this project were selected by Dorothy alongside her friend, curator Amanda Gain. For more information on this project and all those involved, please head over to our website, www.scottishgoldsmithstrust.org. In this episode, I'm joined by Julia Keat. Let's start with introductions. When you studied at ECA and what it is that you do now. My name is Julia Keat and I studied at ECA from 1995 to 1998, so I went into the second year. I work at Bath Spa University in the School of Design, and my job title is Subject Leader in Design, and I lead the course leaders and course teams for three courses, and they are Architecture, Interior Design, and Product and Furniture Design. So basically, all of the courses that are concerned with three-dimensional world and the built environment and space uh, or the relationship between people and the built world. And so tell me, going right back, what made you choose to study at ECA? After I finished my A-levels at at school, I I went and did a foundation course, which was a a really wonderful experience. I'm actually from, from Dorset, so a long way from Edinburgh. Um, And I did my foundation course at Bournemouth College of Art and Design at the time. It's Bournemouth Arts University. And I did my foundation course in in Shelley Park, a really amazing location building built for Mary Shelley. And I took the 3D route on my foundation course. And one of my tutors was Janet Perry. And Janet Perry was one of Dorothy's, I think, early, possibly earliest (laughs) graduates from ECA, really a really talented jeweller uh, with a really sensitive approach to material and process. So she was pretty influential, really. And on foundation, I think what she picked up on was my, I suppose, instincts for working on a very small scale. And what I really discovered while I was on foundation was was materials and and the fact that. I was a three-dimensional thinker and I had no idea <laughs> that I was, although I, I had made things, tiny things, throughout childhood. That was a major sort of discovery. And Janet started to show me some of the work of some of the ECA jewellery and silversmithing graduates. And they, you know, really helped, I think, capture my imagination. I didn't have an interest in, in jewellery per se, it was the making and it was the scale and it was material. And I think what really captivated me was the idea of small scale sculpture. So I remember her showing me, she introduced me to Crafts Magazine and I remember her showing me some of Gronje Morton's work, the little tiny kind of sculptural brooches with the little kind of turning components on them. That was very inspiring. She, along with the the rest of the team, really encouraged me to apply to Edinburgh, which we saw as a bit of a, a long shot because I would have been going into second year, so there were limited places. And uh, so I did apply for, for universities in, in England as well. 
I think the other thing that was was pretty important in all of this is the prospectus. <laughs> so the, the ECA prospectus, which we still have on our shelves, because it really inspired me and my husband who studied glass. But um, it's the prospectus and the work of the graduates that was photographed in there. I went for my interview. I brought, you know, a selection of my work. I do remember that Janet told me that the thing that had grabbed Dorothy's attention, it was Dorothy and Bill interviewing me, was I had made one of my foundation projects. We were asked to to make something that, that could carry the weight of an egg and I made it out of tracing paper. So I made tiny square section tracing paper cubes and I hinged it, so I made tracing paper hinges. Uh, I, I believe that she said, if someone, you know, can make tracing paper hinges... And tubes on that scale, then they, they're meant to be a jeweller. Yeah, so that's how I, I got there. Thinking back to your time at Edinburgh College of Art, what do you remember about the department, the teaching, the kind of the culture? Well, I think retrospectively, I was I was really lucky to be on such a kind of well established course with small groups. So you know, we had those opportunities to get to know our tutors and and our peers and I think actually for someone coming from a relatively kind of I suppose rural area in North Dorset (laughs) to a kind of major kind of cultural centre in Edinburgh it was a nurturing environment I think that's that's very positive and we also we had the consistent influence of Dorothy Bill Sue and Hugh the technician, as well as other jewellery professionals and and jewellery teachers as well coming in and bringing different perspectives. So that I think is a really valuable thing to have that balance of teaching input on a course. I think I found it pretty challenging at, at first. I came into the second year, so I came to a largely established group. And as I said, I, I came from North Dorset and, and I guess actually a very sheltered life in North Dorset, rural North Dorset. And then I had that kind of freedom and discovery and really wide open experimental kind of educational experience on my foundation. And then coming to Edinburgh, I found it constraining at first. I kind of found it more, more limiting than my foundation course. But I think, you know, part of that was just a really big adjustment for me to a a, a new city, a a totally different kind of cultural and learning experience, which, of course, in the end was was really positive. (laughs) But in in those early stages, really challenging. The thing reflecting on that now is that slowly I felt able to talk to Dorothy about that. And interestingly, then that conversation continued after I had graduated and gone into education as she, you know, tried to make sure that I guess that that experience wasn't repeated, which I think was really generous in a way. And she, she listened to that. So it was very much part of the, the, the building blocks of the conversation that we then continued to have over several years. And reflecting back, Julia, do you remember any key projects or aspects of your learning that have shaped your practice and career? I think I really enjoyed the immersion in making. 
and I really enjoyed some of those second year projects. What what I really remember was the the second year stone setting project and also the silversmithing project, which was with Bill. And I actually really enjoyed those discoveries, you know, ma- making in three dimensions in base metals and in, in copper and, and in gilded metal and in silver. They were really valuable and um, enjoyable experiences. I, I was also interested in gemology as well. And, and through ECA, I did get a job in in a shop. So it was a retail job, which other graduate have, have graduates have done as well because we kind of you know it went from one person to another as a Saturday girl but that was interesting you know that 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 I, I learned about gemology there as well so that was really interesting but I was also really inspired by Ono Buchout a Dutch uh, designer and jeweler who visited and did a project with us called Thing on a String which could can completely open out well what, what is jewelry it's a thing on a string. What could be jewellery? So we were using a lot of found objects and that really ignited my interest as well. We did a lovely project with ostrich eggs. <laughs> we may have been the only year that got to do an ostrich egg project, um, but that was great, uh, sort of reinterpreting o- ostrich eggs as new objects. And I also really enjoyed meeting Otto Kunzli. So Dorothy took us, as she did, I think, every year she took us to Munich and that was in third year. And then we got to meet Otto Kunzli, German jeweller, who, like Ono Buchout, was, you know, through his practice and teaching, always pushing at the edges of jewellery design and what that is. I, I was interested in the edges, push, pushing at the, the kind of boundaries. I didn't do that through what I made necessarily, but I think it just sowed the seeds of sort of a more expanded approach than, than simply being a, a jewellery designer. I basically sort of found myself sort of straining to experiment beyond what I felt at the time was like a clearly sort of defined approach. I was doing that night somewhat naively, <laughs> but, and also perhaps not understanding that a constrained approach. I, I felt it was constrained, but actually a clearly defined approach actually gives you, I guess, boundaries so that you're able to be productive within that rather than kind of lost in the desert of well, what am I going to do now? Tell me a bit more about your relationship with Dorothy and any of your peers that you met while studying. Relationship with my peers, like I said, it was really pretty amazing, I think, to be in like a, a small group. You, you kind of get a, a lot of mutual support. And compared to um, educational opportunities now, we were, you know, it's really privileged to, to have a space in a, in a workshop. And, and it was a very disciplined environment, which again, I... I, I struggled a little with at first, but, you know, ultimately that's a good thing because, you know, everybody expects to come in every day and work together. So that that was very positive. And I think we all learned a lot from each other. I think, you know, because I'd gone from my sort of fairly kind of sheltered rural upbringing to then this very experimental foundation course, then to Edinburgh, which was, again, a different type of education, I think I, I basically became really curious about education and what each of those experiences had done for me. Um, and actually, I did. I kept all my briefs. I have all my briefs from Edinburgh and my foundation course. So it started me sort of thinking about education. And I wrote my dissertation about the course. And so through that dissertation, then I I interviewed Dorothy and I interviewed Sue. I think I also interviewed 
some graduates, but I looked very closely at the work of graduates. So some of the graduates whose work had really inspired me when I came onto the course ended up in my dissertation. It was a really authentic interest. It was something I was very interested in. Um, so I was talking to Dorothy and Sue about the graduates who had inspired me and, and two other people as well. And, and this was supported, you know, really well by my dissertation tutor, Elizabeth, coming. So that was a kind of very interesting kind of process of discovery that I think was also a stepping stone into going into education myself. It was that kind of curiosity and investigation and talking to my teachers about about how they felt their teaching had influenced what the course had become. So that that's when my conversations with, with her, I think, really started. And how did that continue after graduation and what you did next? She was really supportive when I started to make steps into education. My first kind of permanent job in education was was, was at Plymouth College of Art. So we, I moved down to Plymouth after graduating with my, my now husband. Um, so we moved down from Edinburgh to Plymouth, where I did, you know, I, I developed my own practice. But sort of working on my own practice, it, it went you know, fairly well. And I learned a lot through it, uh, making my own work based on my degree show work and exhibiting and selling in, in, in various galleries like the Oxford Gallery at the time was, was really kind of prominent and dazzle and lots of the kind of jewellery outlets and platforms for contemporary jewellers at the time. But again, I started to feel a bit constrained and I wanted more of that kind of opportunity to think think critically about my discipline and also to expand into other disciplines. About two years after graduating, I applied for a job as small-scale metals lecturer at Plymouth College of Art. And so she was she was very supportive with that. So I got back in touch with her and and she provided me with a reference, but also just she she was generous with her own experience and and you know helping me to yeah make make the step. I guess, into education. Shortly after that, we decided to move to Amsterdam and I went to study and I did a, an MFA, a Master in Fine Art in Product Design at the Sundberg Institute in Amsterdam. While I was there, Dorothy visited with her students. So that, that was really great to kind of reconnect with Dorothy and just with the course as well. So that was brilliant. And I just remember, you know, having some really good conversations around that and around what I was learning on my course in Amsterdam, which felt, again, like another different educational experience to learn from. So being able to digest that with with Dorothy was was great. When you did the MFA, were you thinking that you might go into being a product designer or were you thinking still at that point, actually, I want to take that learning and then apply it to my career as an educator? I don't think I was that clear. But the, the reason that that course was attractive was because it was really very interdisciplinary. And there were also, there were a fair few jewellers on that course. So it was, well, it connected many different disciplines, to be honest. It was a very experimental course, which really kind of connected to my my interests. And, and of course, you know, the Netherlands is really, it's, it's a hub of design and design understanding. And as well as that, there was 
sort of more of a tradition of designers setting up their own practices and being sole designers. Uh, and that went for, for product design, you know, not, not just jewellery, it wasn't about craft. It was about design and using design to question and to test and to, to think about society. A hugely valuable experience, really different to my experience at Edinburgh. So it was really interesting to have that conversation with Dorothy. Yeah, tell me about what, what did you do then after being in the Netherlands? Well, we were there for three years and then, I, and then I went back into education. So I went back to jewellery design education. So in 2004, I went to become a full-time lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University in what was then called jewellery and metalwork. So obviously really long-standing course and department in a city that's got deep roots in metalwork. So really interesting. But Dorothy was really pivotal in helping me to uh, find that. It was great. I, I did say to her that I was looking for teaching work and she then helped connect me to various different people teaching in different courses in the UK. So I had some great conversations with, with other people that she was able to instigate for me. So brilliant. She also invited me back to, first of all, to talk to the students about my experience in the Netherlands and about my practice and then to come and run a short project so super valuable experiences which then I was able to kind of take with me to Sheffield Hallam and she also she had a list of every jewellery and metalwork related course in the country and who was teaching on it and she sent me this list so I had that, I benefited from her overview of teaching in this, you know, actually what is a really specialist area. And then the conversation continued again because it turned out that I think shortly after I started teaching there, she coincidentally became an external examiner. So my first role there was as second year tutor and the second year of, of any university course has to be moderated by the external examiner. So, <laughs> so then there was, you know, a formal conversation around what we were teaching, what the students were learning, that then continued that conversation for three or four years. Thinking about your experiences being taught by Dorothy and time at other educational institutions, could you talk a little bit about how that's influenced your work as an educator now? So they really have. I, I learned some of my really core values there at Edinburgh. I think one of the really important things that I have carried with me throughout my career and life, actually, generally, is just that listening and learning from materials. I know I, I said I felt the course was very constrained to start with, but actually we were really encouraged to be experimental within that creative framework, really encouraged to be experimental with materials and to learn through making. And I think that's it's just so, so valuable. And something that I'm really passionate about is hands-on learning and, you know, learning about the built environment, you know, whether that's jewellery or products or architecture, whatever, learning about the built environment through making. I think it's a very, very valuable process. So listening to materials, working with materials directly and allowing those materials to inform design was something really, really fundamental, I think. And then latterly, I've then applied that to learning and about the built world and problem solving. So I think it was a, a really kind of powerful value to take beyond the kind of, like, I suppose, original craft 
context that we were immersed in at the time. And I think also just that sense of vocation as a practitioner, but also as a lecturer. I remember Dorothy saying, it's all about passion and commitment. That, that's something I've really carried with me, as well as the idea of being a professional lecturer. Do you continue to have your own making practice or any particular areas of research? My practice has been really important to me, but I'm not, I'm not practicing at the moment, but I am researching, I'm completing a PhD. But I think at Bath Spa, one of the things that really drew me to Bath Spa was that they still have this amazing emphasis on making. So it has really wonderfully well-equipped workshops and actually a fantastic ethos and fantastic technical team who really, really encourage students to be experimental with materials and across different sorts of materials. So I'm back in a, an environment, a lovely experimental environment where people really value material making. And I think that that's really draws a nice circle back where I started. Part of what we've been doing on the courses is interpreting architecture interior design, production furniture design, through the lens of art school and through through making and learning through making. I, I think that's a very valuable, valuable thing. We'd kind of gone from teaching at Sheffield in second year and Dorothy being the external examiner. Can you tell me a little bit about from then to going to Bath Spa? When I graduated from Edinburgh, my practice was, was really important. So I was a practicing jewellery designer for a little while. And I also started to expand my practice. So I did a project, Arts Council funded project called High Tech, Low Tech. It's while I was in Plymouth. Um, so I worked in a non-woven textiles factory. So exploring and experimenting with a, with a material, non-woven textiles in a factory context. And, and that kind of helped expand what I was doing. And that, you know, in a way, was a stepping stone also to going to Amsterdam. When I went back into education at Sheffield Hallam, I was then able to continue, I guess, practice under the umbrella of academic research. So I was, a, you know, working on making and curating with colleagues. At Sheffield Hallam, you know, there are also opportunities to teach into some of the other design courses and there's also a very thriving research centre at Hallam, which has kind of product design at its core. So whilst I was teaching jewellery design, I was also able to, I guess, build on my interests in that kind of more expanded approach to, to design. And we moved to Bath partly for other reasons, um, because we are both, my husband and I are both from the southwest. We wanted to move to the, to the southwest. We had two children while we were in Sheffield uh, and we just wanted to be closer to family and, and so we, we, we came to Bath for that reason and unfortunately then my conversations with Dorothy sort of became a bit more fragmented but you know because I, I was <laughs> I was uh, focusing on my family and my job so uh, life suddenly got a lot more full but then you know in the background of that I think at that time at ECA I think I think I got a sense of what, what it was to be a teaching, practising mother. Again, another building block, I think, that has helped me to, to develop my career and make decisions as, I, as I've gone. I was going to ask you a little bit more about 
your practice or your research and things that interest you in design more specifically to get a kind of more sense of your interests and inspiration? So for me personally, I think one of the things that I've been working on for a while now is my PhD, which is just uh, finishing. What I'm doing at the moment is analysing interviews that I've made with industrial designers who are working in retail. So they're working in a, in a very fast moving environment where they, they are working in a very agile way, designing a lot of products that make it very quickly onto the market to be consumed very quickly. And that's very interesting. And what I'm actually talking to them about is, is making meaning. So that's about whether it is possible to design products that have meaning to their users. It is about meaning making and design. So part of the work I've done is looking at how how people relate to their possessions in their homes, to the meanings that those possessions have. So it does connect back to jewellery and, you know, all those conversations in jewellery design around, you know, sentimental value and what jewellery means to people. But, you know, I've taken that, but I'm applying it to other types of possession in the home. And it's been very, very interesting because what the research appears to show is that meanings aren't connected to what something looks like. They're, they're not necessarily directly connected to colour or, or form or material experience. So because the research was throwing that up, I have been then interviewing industrial designers who actually design these products for the home to find out whether they think that it's possible to create meaning and what they do to strive to do that. And part of what that is doing is actually sort of revealing the material expertise of designers and how agile those designers need to be when they're thinking about their user and their their market and their clients, as well as material, material experience, the emotion that might be, I suppose, part of the experience for the user. Uh, so they're thinking about all that, as well as manufacture, manufacture constraints, costs. So it's really kind of revealing just how skilled and agile those roles are in an industry which is very, very fast moving at a time when it's actually, I guess, really problematic in the context of environmental sustainability. Do you think that the meaning connected to an object is directly related to its durability and longevity? And so it will last long enough for that attachment with the user. I'm thinking right now about a pair of orange handled scissors in my kitchen um, that were in my kitchen growing up. They aren't a particularly interesting design, but to me, they're as precious as a piece of jewellery. What my research seems to be showing is that when somebody keeps something over a long period of time, it's about people. It's about those relationships with other people or it's about memories. It's about a time when that, for some reason, that object was important, most likely unintentionally. It's about time and memory and people rather than the object itself. It can also be about the home, about the spaces in the home and the spaces in the home offering opportunities for keeping. It's about processes of curation and display and storage. So what goes in deep storage that you don't need to see, but you need to keep, you feel you need to keep? What what do you display? Curation is a process of making decisions about what is important to you and to yourself and to the development of your, your core self. 
So it's, it's also it's about the relationship of possessions to, to your inner self. Could you tell me about the challenges and considerations you make as an educator and how things have changed since your time as a student? So it's, it's throwing up a lot of questions that we don't have the answers to, to all of them yet. <laughs> but we're working hard to do that. And it goes along with EDI, Equality, Diversity, Inclusion, which is such an important thing now, rightly. But actually redesigning courses and parts of courses and the delivery of courses to make sure that all students are able to access that content. That's also something that we're really trying hard to do. And, you know, like I say, we, we don't have all the answers yet, but it throws up really interesting questions about the things that we've always valued in art and design, particularly in the art school. So in terms of that kind of studio environment where everybody works alongside each other and you have talks and lectures and visiting uh, lecturers and so on, it throws up some interesting questions because actually what about those students who for different reasons aren't aren't comfortable in that open and shared environment. You know, how do we make the course accessible for those students? Or if we're having a a talk in that studio space, how do we manage that? How do we manage, you know, students working on their own projects alongside having lectures in the same studios? Part of this as well is, of course, cost of living means that a lot of students, they have to work. And so we can't expect students to be in their studios all day, every day, like we might have expected once upon a time. So how do we help help them access their learning in that situation? I think what I've really taken with me is that ethos of material experimentation. That's one of the key things I've really taken with me. And I think what I've tried to do, so Prior to being in the position I am now, leading three course teams, I was the course leader for product and furniture design, so uh, at Basque University. And what I really tried to do with my team was to put that experimental kind of making process into the design process, because I think what it can do is, is give you an understanding of construction and tactility and human experience that might be harder to access through more theoretical and computer-based learning. More theoretical than computer-based learning does, of course, have its, its place, but what we're trying to do is something a bit different. So we try to give our students opportunities, not just for making, but also just for active learning, so that our students are interacting not just with each other, but the built environment and learning through that physical kind of hands-on experience. So it's basically trying to put that active hands-on learning at the centre of design process and creative process. And then part part of that is problem solving is so important in design, learning to cope with complexity. And I think that making, and not, not that kind of skilled craft making that we were really immersed in, but just interacting with materials, even in a very informal and a quick way, can really help quickly solve, understand and find solutions for a, a problem. So really trying to put making back into that cyclical, creative and non-linear design process. I think what really came through my experience at Edinburgh was that valuing of individual creativity. We were really supported and encouraged to find something that worked for us as individuals, as creative individuals, and to really make our work and that degree show and that third year work particularly, make that our own. 
to find our own language to an extent. I've really held that with me as well. And so I've been really, really happy to find this opportunity at Bath Spa to find ways of putting individual creativity at the centre of what we do. And in my experience, that means designing projects within our modules that allows the students within the perimeters of a brief, allows them to make their own response and to value their own response and not to feel that there is a set way of doing this. And I think that works well. We've had great feedback from external clients who work with us on projects. So, you know, design companies who set briefs for our students who have given us very good feedback on those students' kind of sort of sense of personal inquiry. I think what it what, what is really interesting about this, and again, it's, that throws up questions is how do you do that at scale? You know, there were 12 people in my year at, at Edinburgh. There were four in my year at Sandbox, very small groups. But actually, how how you do that at scale for a bigger cohort is, is an interesting question. And part of that is setting briefs that encourage creative responses, but also allow, I guess, less experienced students to meet their learning outcomes and those more experienced students who who are able to really dig deep and run with the project to give them that opportunity as well so I think those are some of the challenges of, of education now because of course it's generally run on a, a bigger scale than they did then. Thank you for joining us Julia. There's further information about Julia including links and images on the Scottish Goldsmiths Trust website. That was our final episode in this Tree Project series. And I'd like to thank again all those who participated. It's been truly incredible, really wonderful experience to talk with you all. And thank you to all of those who've listened along. Mm-hmm.